Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Invisible Not Broken. Today, I talked to Cosmo, and I wanted to just, before we started in on all the awesomeness of Cosmo, because there's lots of awesomeness about Cosmo, I just kind of wanted to give a little thing, because I've gone back and forth between publishing this and not publishing this, and I decided I had way too much fun to not share it with everyone, but I also need to be really clear, I'm not doing an interview and I think that's kind of a safe assumption from here on out that all of the episodes that I, Monica Michelle, published on Invisible Not Broken, they're not going to be interviews. They're just going to be conversations. So I will probably laugh in a loud and cackling manner because that's how I laugh. Um, and it's a talk. So we're going to be having a full conversation. So I hope you enjoy that. Um, that's what these episodes will be. They will be conversations with really cool people that I can't wait to chat with. And sometimes I get a little too excited when I talk to people and I talk fast. And I also talk very high pitched when I'm in pain. Um, if that bothers you, I'm really sorry. Um, you guys have all been pretty vocal about that. And my apologies. I've tried many ways to f do that differently. And it's just not authentic. Um, so there you have it. Okay, so here's the cool part. Cosmo's awesome. Um, if you've ever watched Cosmo on Twitch and streaming, a uh, fantastic gamer, amazing gamer. Also, um, just an all-around cool person. Please follow Cosmo um, on Twitter. You can find Cosmo's uh, handles if you go over to our show notes. We talked so much. And a quick legal disclaimer, when we discuss nonprofits, we are not talking about any nonprofit in particular. We're just talking generally about an issue that we're seeing. And I would love to talk to someone from the nonprofit sector if we're misunderstanding how that works. And I would love a full breakdown. I might be very ignorant looking into something that I don't understand. So please, if you are part of a nonprofit and this offended you, reach out to me. I would love to talk to you and find out more about the financials and how disability nonprofits work. Okay, so we had a long talk um, about how to stay human when you're on social media, that there is a actual human behind those hashtags and those, um, those things. So that's really a fun talk we had. We met on Twitter, um, and that could be a very interesting space. We talked a lot about accessibility and how the media portrays disabled people, especially looking in the comic book world. We also had a really cool talk about how fear and shame and community are used against disabled people and how that shows up in the media. I hope you enjoy it because we talked about so many other things um, and hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much, everyone. Be kind, be gentle, be a badass. I am going to try to put one of these out every month. Um, we'll see how that works, but there you go. Please enjoy. I've been looking so forward to this. <laughs> I have been too. I'm really excited. I like my week has been a little bit of a whirlwind, but otherwise like I'm stoked. I also was going to mute the notifications on my tablet only to realize that it's still turned off. So I guess that will also do it. I, I think that you and I between um, ADD and full exhaustion and chronic illness are going to have a lot of these moments. Oh yeah. That's part of why I've been looking forward to it is I'm like, <laughs> I don't really have to worry about a lot of this stuff that I'd normally be worrying about because like, it's very much either I'm not the only one or the other person understands as well. And for my other podcast, all I, 
I pretty much interview mostly people who are healthy and it is so stressful. And like, there's 99% of them are the sweetest people in the world, but half of it is making them feel better. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, definitely. Cause that's, that's always that thing too, is like, I do that with a lot of the people that I interact with who are healthy is there's always those little moments of like making them feel better because there's so much stuff that these healthy people just don't really like, they're not normalized to them yet. They're not, they're, they haven't like gotten to where they're like, Oh, Oh, like it's totally okay for me to like forget things sometimes or it's totally okay for me to be a little late to certain things or or to like just be tired or or like oh I mixed up a couple words that's the end of the world and you're like no that's my daily life (laughs) like bless your heart aren't you welcome to the new world (laughs) yes that's exactly it that's exactly it Like, I feel like I have to find the space with healthy people of like, I acknowledge that you care and that you want to say the right things, but telling me you would rather die than live my life or that I should be grateful that I just woke up. I realize you just panicked and I I know enough about you or I don't know enough about you to assume maliciousness, but holy, are you kidding me? (laughs) Right, right. And like, they, they also don't realize that so much of this stuff that they'll say has people attached to it oh that (laughs) yeah like it's like oh like I would I would hate to have x circumstance like like I hear it a lot with people about chronic pain um (laughs) there there are a couple of things that I hear often one one is the I could never handle that like I could never deal with that um and the other just exited my brain. Oh my God. <laughs> we're we're great today. We're fine. <laughs> we're already, we're already starting. <laughs> cool. So I'm going to make you feel better because I have a huge embarrassing ADD thing about this whole interview. And I know I asked you on here for a specific reason, aside from, I think you're super fun and I'm obsessed with your Twitter feed and I've totally been Twitter, like going through everything. I forgot the specific reason that you are here today, other than you're awesome. And I wanted to talk to you, which might actually be the reason. Um, but I, I think that there's something we're supposed to talk about and it might just end up being that we just talk, which is fine and great. It's, it's funny that you say that because now that I'm thinking about it, I was like, I was having the same thing where I was telling my partner last night, I was like, I'm having a conversation tomorrow. I think we're doing a podcast or something. I just know that we were going to have a conversation because we were excited about talking to other disabled people about this stuff. And I could not for the life of me remember what the specific thing was either. I know there was something, but like, you're it's, killing me. Yeah. It, it has, like, I've got no idea. And this is kind of my favorite thing. This is actually part of why I felt like comfortable coming on is because like we had gotten a little bit into that conversation and like, it was very clear that we had both already lost what the specific thing was. Anyone listening, I swear we'll talk about fun stuff. I promise this is not going to be just us (laughs) laughing about that. We can't remember how or why we're supposed to be here. Um, I just, I seriously this morning was like, I need to go on to the Twitter feed. And then I realized you tweet a lot. (laughs) 
And that's why I like you is you always tweet really interesting, cool stuff. But I was like, wow, we start talking in April and oh I've been scrolling for 10 minutes and I'm just in May. Yeah. Um, I'm going to just look through the, t- so all I do is I look through your Twitter feed and I was like, oh my God, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. <laughs> so we have plenty to talk about. I was just like, so, was I trying to help you promote something or were we talking COVID or, <laughs> you know, and that's the thing is like, there's so many different things it could be or gaming like right right like was which of the things was it I have no idea I can we're, we're gonna be fun I, I promise everyone listening we will be fun. <laughs> yes. um, so <laughs> I will I will um actually come up with something then because uh since we have um all these issues we're dealing with long COVID is the thing that scares me the most as people are talking about like oh my god I could never I would never be able to survive in long pain oh my gosh if I can't like I was working with someone who was doing um, a right to die thing. And I have to say it's the hardest interview I've ever done because it hit me in the solar plexus with like, here's the list of things that you might not be able to do anymore. That would mean it's, it's time to consider this. And I was like, who irresponsibly wrote this? Oh my God. Like it's obviously someone who hasn't lived in chronic pain because I promise you it's been 20 years since I've done 90% of these things. And I, you know, no shade, like whatever you need to do muscle top plus a B, I'm not going to speak for other people's experiences. What I will say though, is if you've never had these experiences, it can be deeply overwhelming. (laughs) Chronic pain and chronic illness is easier if you kind of lobster bath it. Like I've been sick (laughs) since I was born. And it's like that, like little, like you keep losing little things until you're like, yeah. oh, so I can't walk anymore. Huh. I'm going to be reading a book. Um, I'll be gaming for my computer. Uh, like, it's, it's okay. Like, but when you're suddenly yeah. just tossed into it, that's when I get really scared for people. And watching this long COVID thing as people are like, they've had that belief of, I couldn't live like that. And life isn't worth living if, and then there's yeah. this whole list. And it's like, did y'all learn nothing from Stephen Hawkins? Like he was really clear, right. but he actually like, not to say we should all be like toxic positivity. Yay. Disability. Yay. Our disorder. Like, <laughs> my, pain. my pain and I are bros. It's good. But like, he was clear that there, while there are extreme downsides, there's also a freedom in it. And there's yeah. an ability to do things that you never would have had time focus for. Like as our lives become smaller, the microcosm gets way more interesting. Oh, absolutely. There's so much to it. Um, one, the first thing that popped in my head when you were joking about like my pain and I are bros, I'm like my pain <laughs> and I are bros in that it bullies me for my lunch money. Um, but but like, you're right though. And, and that's the thing that's scary for me too, is, is knowing how many of these folks have this mindset where they're like, because a lot of the people getting long COVID are the people who are going out and trying to live their lives right now because they're too afraid of living the way that we do. Um, Hmm. They're afraid of living in isolation. They're afraid of living without their activities because they've never had to sit and just think, um, Like when you're abled and healthy, you're going, you're doing things. You're always occupying your brain with the next thing. And that's a lot of what our society wants you to do, because if you're continually doing that, you're not sitting and thinking about your life and thinking about whether or not there's more to life than just work, sleep, chores, and then do it again. Um, And so 
when most people were given that, that pause where they just had to stop and think and address things for a while because of COVID, like a lot of people just were not there for it. Um, and it, it definitely caused people to be further in that denial. So those folks going out and doing things, and obviously not everyone who gets long COVID is, is at fault for their own infection. So I'm not, I don't want to imply that, but like it ends up where those are the exact same people who have said things to us. Like I would rather die than live the life you do. Um, and the other part that makes this even more scary is that no one tells them about the adjustment period. No one tells them about the fact that it is not immediate acceptance. It's not just you can or you can't. Like people look at, this is, this is actually something I was talking to um, my old roommate from assisted living about recently, which is that you can't actually look at me and say, I could never do that because you don't know what I had to do to get here. Mm. You don't know how long it took me to adjust like, obviously I was, you know, I, I was disabled from birth, but also the, the current disability that, that does the most damage to me, my porphyria is something that didn't kick in until I was a teenager and it kicked in sudden. Like, I remember I was at school at the start of my sophomore year and I was, you know, we had a very tall school instead of a wide school and I had to go up to my first class was on the sixth floor and I was going up the stairs and I was noticing how much harder it was. And I was like, huh, my heart is working pretty hard. And like, mind you, I played DDR obsessively. So like I, my cardio was good. My heart was strong. And suddenly my heart was just struggling. And like, I knew it wasn't my leg muscles. I knew it wasn't anything else. It didn't make any sense. And shortly thereafter, we had gym class where I had to be on the stair stepper. And I felt like my heart was going to explode. I got off it and laid flat on the floor. And the gym teacher comes over. He's like, Cosmo, what do you think you're doing? And I was like laying on the fucking ground. <laughs> what does it look like I'm doing? It's like, it feels like my heart's going to pop. And he told me that I could either get a detention or get back on the stair stepper. And I went, I'll take the detention. I'm going to the nurse. And we like, we spent years trying to figure out what that was. We didn't, we didn't actually figure that out until a decade later. And I, there are a lot of ways in which I still haven't adjusted to this. It's not easy. Like seeing me go through my life and, and live it and like, quote unquote, like take it like a champ and, and, and be so resilient and strong, which I hate when people say about me because I am brittle. Um, I just happen to be able to endure a lot. Um, but like, it's frustrating because I just want to sit people down and go, you couldn't dive head first into this. Absolutely not. I don't think anyone could. 
I don't think anyone could get hurtled straight into this part, this point that I'm at, the level of sickness and pain that I'm at, because this is several years of time of my body degrading from continual flares. This isn't where I started. I started as a pretty healthy teen with a pretty solid level of fitness and, and, uh, and also a strong grasp on the medical system because I've been in it most of my life already. So like, I, like, of course these people couldn't just jump straight into that. They couldn't go from where they are to where I'm at because that's excruciatingly hard. Like, and the other thing is they can't actually know that there is no way to make that comparison. You don't have a frame of reference and neither do I. I don't have a frame of reference for what your life is like. I don't know what it's like to not be in pain. I don't know what it's like to not be sick like that because that's been my life. Like, you know, I I may not have had the porphyria going on when I was younger than a teen, but I had other stuff going on in my life. And like, it's, you just, you can't compare that stuff. And the thing that exited my brain earlier was that people will sometimes tell me about their problems, tell me about what's going on, and then stop themselves and go, I mean, but obviously it's not as bad as what you go through. And I'm like, that's not actually saying the thing you think it is. And I don't ever want what I go through to stop you from expressing what you go through and from feeling the weight of it, because it does not matter what I go through. My experiences, my situation does not make your situation go away. I, there's so much to unpack here and I, I really <laughs> want to get through all of it because you said so many important things. Um, I love the idea of chronic pain as like the most expensive and exhausting uh, sport ever. Like this is like an endurance <laughs> sport that I don't even think David Lane could try. Um, it's, it's, right. and it's expensive. Like if you think that any of your sports are expensive, if you think skiing is expensive, I challenge you to Eller Stainless. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> we'll need as many braces and then some. And I, I think all of us with Eller Stainless have entire drawers of like the graveyard mm-hmm. of braces that don't actually work or only work for a minute until they dislocate it further. Yeah. <laughs> and then we also have like the graveyard of supplements, our actual doctors uh. with no, no scientific proof that any of this <laughs> shit works are like here to be a good pain patient. Please take this $50 supplement until it either makes you sicker or does absolutely nothing. And you're just at best experiencing some sort of like, please, I spent a lot of money. This is a cost investment work. Um, and if you I, don't, they'll mark you non-compliant. And if you get marked non-compliant, good luck getting your actual pain meds. Super mm-hmm. fun. Here's the gauntlet of incredibly painful procedures that are going to be deeply expensive in the United States that you must try first. Even if you tried before, you must try mm-hmm. it again, including needles this long stuck through your kneecap. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's fun. Soup's oh. nice. Yay. Yeah. Um, but I do not know what porphyria is. I have been doing this podcast for five years. I have never heard that before. Uh, so porphyria is uh, pretty ridiculously rare, unfortunately for me. So I'm I'm very used to people not having any idea what it is. Um, the funny thing is I have so many like fun facts about it. It's I have a lot of fun facts for something that's very not fun. Um, 
it is actually the basis for the vampire myth. Um, and and um, excuse the Satanism for a moment. It, it was referred to as the madness of King George. Um, and the reason it was referred to that way is because Porphyria is, um, it's technically kind of a liver disease, but it can also come from your bone marrow. Um, you, you produce, um, porphyrins when you make, uh, when your body synthesizes heme for your blood to carry, you know, oxygen around. And, um, and in porphyria patients, these byproducts build up in your system in various places instead of, you know, leaving. And, uh, it's very volatile. Um, it's also UV reactive. So, um, that's where that part of the vampire myth comes from. I have one of the types that can cause uh, a very literal sun allergy. Um, it's solar urticaria um, that I, within five minutes, if I'm if I don't have my Plaquenil, uh, will break out in hives uh, being in the sun. Even in Chicago, where doctors just assume you have a vitamin D deficiency. Um, and they're, they're 90% of the time they're right. Like we're all vitamin D deficient here. We do not get good sun. Um, but the thing that it causes is I, I've, I've had to really reframe this for myself because I, I used to beat myself up about the symptoms quite a lot. Um, they're all neurological and it can cause most any neurological symptom, uh, which is not ideal. So like tremors, uh, neuropathy, um, uh, gastroparesis, um, uh, like psychosis, hallucinations, paranoia, anxiety, um, irritability, uh, seizures, like um, various issues with, with muscles and uh, like motor functions and everything like visual issues, like it, it's just the whole freaking nine yards. Um, and there's stable, like quote unquote static ones. And then there's um, the acute hepatic porphyrias, which flare. Um, I have one of those, unfortunately. And uh, those ones are pretty rough, but they're also more rare. So I actually lucked into having a porphyria specialist here. Um, they are not common at all. Uh, for the longest time, all of the testing had to be sent to the Mayo Clinic uh, in Minnesota, which is that's that was literally the closest lab, which um, when you have to light protect the samples and keep them chilled um, because UV light is how they do the testing uh, all the way to Minnesota. You don't really get samples that are viable. Um because no one knows what the fuck porphyria is. So they're not really familiar with the protocols enough to know that, no, seriously, you have to keep them completely light protected. I actually had a doctor lie about the test results and say they came back negative when what happened was the samples weren't light protected. That's the stuff that scares the hell out of me. Like mm -hmm. how many, like I spent, I didn't get my diagnosis until I was 36, 34. Um, and it, 
like, and that stuff frightens me because we're just supposed to trust that these labs that hire pretty awesome college students, but college students Mm -hmm. to not, you know, like to look through our labs, like human error has to be a part of some of this. And these are some real world consequences when, when things go wrong. I'm so mad that you're, none of your symptoms include like the ability to turn to a bat or sparkle or fly or like super speed. Like there's so many superhero things that could be like, like Ellers saying those, like we're, we're, we're a little like transformers. Like I could throw my femur at someone <laughs> like there's, there's, there's at least, you know, we're at least like really good ballerinas. So you like, at least we got something that's like superhero cool, but that was yeah, a right? lot of cool stuff and none of it was like turned into a bat. Like, I, I mean, like there is the one thing that is great, which means that, like part of the reason I talk a lot about the fact that there is no, there's no such thing as a healthy diet. Um, it's all individualized is because what the diet for me is everything that, that modern diets tell you is bad. Like, Mm -hmm. so the way that you actually treat porphyria flares aside from, from panhematin, and they now have a drug that I can't get access to because trying to get a chemical confirmation of your diagnosis is like trying to thread a needle in a hurricane. Um, but uh, like the main thing you do otherwise is glucose. So mm. when you're when like literally my doctor looked at me and was like, so when you start feeling this stuff, grab a can of soda, like carbs, soda, sugary, everything. And like that's that's the diet that I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to shovel candy and carbs and like and red meat like that's. Because uh, that's where the the blood drinking part of it comes from is is you know iron and stuff that so that you don't have to synthesize as much heme so you don't get as much of the buildup like it was it's a whole thing um, I I also had I can't really show it very well um, they had to do a couple of skin biopsies in the early days of trying to figure this out and they did two little holes so I call it my vampire bite. <laughs> Because I That's, love my gallows humor. <laughs> you know, I think that like uh if you want to find funny creative people, you, you look to the disability community. We're mm-hmm. hilarious and we're deeply creative, interesting humans. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that was something I was gonna mention when you were talking about Stephen Hawking earlier about like how um there's so much stuff that you wouldn't have the time or space for. And that's very true. Like I I'm an artist. Um, I'm an artist. I'm a, a witch who reads and, and teaches tarot. I uh, am a streamer. I'm a disability and queer advocate. Like there, I wear a lot of hats. And part of that, like people are always like, how do you know so much stuff? And I'm like, what do you think I do all day? I just sit and absorb. Like I spend my time on the internet talking to all sorts of interesting human beings. And if I'm not doing that, I am spending hours and hours and hours on the things that I do. I'm pretty freaking good at games because I get to spend like 10 hours a day playing games most days. And like, people are like, wow, you really progress really fast when you're drawing. And I'm like, yeah, because when you literally shut out the whole world and just zone in on that for a few hours, like, and I would never have had the time to delve into my art like that if 
I had to work, you know, long capitalist hours and, and do all of that stuff. Or if I had to go to school and get my degrees, like I couldn't like, and it's not to say that like people who do those things don't have as full of a life, but like there is, there are trade-offs here. Like when you talk about that list of things that you can't do that obviously make your life not worth living anymore, it pains me because they Mm. never provide the list of things you get to do instead. Mm. That's, that's a good point. Um, It's, it's frustrating because I think that one of the best tools we have for education on things that people don't understand. So it, TV shows were used when there was there was an attempt at like understanding different groups of people. So we had like all of a sudden all these TV shows that looked at the queer community and it really did change the entire country's viewpoint. It went from like less than 25% of people believing that gay marriage should happen to over 80% in less than five years. So yeah. TV is probably one of our best ways to get people to empathize and understand because we are, for all the things that we think we're so different from each generation, we're storytellers mm-hmm. and we're story absorbers. And so to teach, we need stories. And the only thing we get to see of ourselves in the disability community is healthy people pretending to be us in that. And it's always a story of, I would rather die and I'm desperately trying to commit suicide the whole show. And my poor long serving caregiver is the hero who now gets the Oscar or I get the Oscar for pretending I want to die in disability. Mm -hmm. Or we get a story arc that is maybe one or two episodes, car accident, wheelchair, physical therapy. Everyone stands in slow claps as the person takes their first few steps to graduation. These are the stories. That's all we get. So how we can't like, it's almost like we have to be educators because no one in Hollywood is willing to actually really do something that shows the ups, the downs. I mean, we are the best stories they could possibly put out there. Everything they want is right here in the real story and they won't touch it. Yeah. I mean, either, I, either that or the third kind of story we get is being horror stories. Oh, that one. We're, we're, we are 90% the horror. Yes. We're like 90% of, of horror um, stories in general, like of the horror genre. Like, and just having ovaries, we pretty much are just dead yeah. set to either be a victim or... Yep, exactly. Exactly. We're either, we're either like tragic victims, we're, we're the villains, we are the premise. Like everything about disability is used to scare people. Mm. Even in those, tra- like those stories you described, like the, the slow clap when they take their first steps is because everyone is relieved. Everyone's relieved that they are not as disabled. You get to come back to our community. You are out of our community because that. you are different than us. Now, now you're one of us again. Come back to the light in the community. Exactly. And I would like, just look at superheroes, like look at the superhero genre. Uh, disability and chronic pain turning someone into evil. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's so frustrating because like, look, I'm not going to say that I've never had those. I'm going to be a villain moment thoughts, but that's not because I'm disabled. Like it's not the disability itself. (laughs) It's the fact that this society 
treats us like that. Mm -hmm. Like we're, we're seen as, as a threat, like, and not in the way that, you know, most things would be threatening to you. It's, it's the fact that it's the idea of disability is used as a threat. It's used as a motivator. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and almost like, almost always as far as capitalism, like it's used as a motivator to keep working, keep like doing your best you know, don't, don't fall into that. Like you'll be lazy then you'll be lazy. Then you'll be a leech. You'll be, and everyone will hate you. Mm. I mean, we could just be spinsters and just completely get it all the way over with and uh, (laughs) really just totally embrace the fairy tale. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's so, it's so deeply frustrating because like, yeah, like the other thing is as far as that idea of like disability turning you into a villain, it's so far from the truth. It's ridiculous because all of the most kind people I know, all of the most like caring and and beautiful people I know are disabled and generous. I, and I just generous. want to throw that out there. Yeah. It's like I've been oh, how do I say this without like really <laughs> screwing myself over? Oh, fuck it. Um, I've been around a, a whole bunch of people who are saying they're doing a lot of good right now and they have these nonprofits. And then I look at their financials and their nonprofits have millions, millions, mm. if not billions. And my personal feeling is nothing should have billions. Um, yeah, my same. other, yeah, right. Yeah. And like my other feeling is, is how do you have the heads of your nonprofit making beyond not just a living wage, not just a comfortable wage, not just a wealthy wage, but I mm-hmm. can't even imagine that kind of money. And how do yeah. those people who want to do good, go to sleep knowing that their employees don't even have close to that living wage? Like I, it just blows my mind. And then I look at the disability community where I'm disabled, I'm on disability. Mm-hmm. So my income is fixed and scary. And if I was not <laughs> like, like psychic, uh, the words, darn words, gosh, after the like words. 30, all the thousands of dollars in an English literature graduate degree, and I can't even come up with the right word. This is truly an insult on top of injury. Um, uh, the insane level of privilege I have, and I have an insane psychotic level of privilege. I have just like a crazy level of privilege. And yes, I probably just used all those words horribly wrong. Give me. Uh, it happens. Um, it's, it's, I, I like words like wild, ridiculous. Thank you. Asinine. Um, um, I appreciate that. <laughs> I have a lot of those replacement words. I, I will ask you for a list because I usually just grasp for the first one that even remotely fits up. So I have an Sounds asinine good. level of privilege, a ludicrous level of privilege, and I would not survive without that. But mm-hmm. I still donate to like anytime one of my friends is on Twitter or even a friend of a friend on Twitter is like, I can't pay rent. I'm like, oh, I have extra money. Okay, yours. Like, and everyone yeah. else in the disability community I know is like that. But then you have these nonprofits that are set up and not all of them are like this, but I've been seeing more and more of them that are like this, that are nonprofits in the guise of holding up a system that's very broken in the, the medical community. And they're not, they're, they're like band-aiding things and they're not committed to changing things at a systemic level. It, yeah, exactly. And it's so, oh, that's another thing that burns me is like, I think about 
I think often about what I could do with certain changes financially. And the fact that like most people don't realize that if you're on SSI, the maximum amount you get is just shy of 10 grand a year, a year, a year. Yeah. That like I need, and the other thing is the U S has admitted this is not enough because at the beginning of the pandemic, when they were figuring out how much to send out for stimulus checks, it was because they were calculating the minimum amount that a household, an individual would need to survive right now. Yeah. And it was what, 1400, 16, 1400, I think was the amount. Except the best anyone got was one check instead of like Canada, which yeah. rightfully, rightfully, please let me underline rightfully, Canadians who fought the low amount they're getting every month. Mm-hmm. I support you just because we don't have anything yeah. close to that does not mean you weren't right. You're absolutely right. You should have oh, gotten absolutely. that. You should have gotten more. But I also want to point out that the United States only got it once. We only oh, got yeah. one check. 100%. We definitely did not do anywhere near enough at all. And we we really failed people. And I think that a lot of the pandemic might have gone a lot better if we had not failed everyone in that way. Um, but like, <laughs> it was it was more so the fact that the calculation just completely like, I was stunned sitting there. Like, I was like, they have admitted it that yeah. that we get like half of what someone needs to survive right now. And even that still wasn't enough because that was bare minimum, bare minimum. Um, and I'm like, you know this, you know, we are well below the poverty line, just being brought up to the poverty line. I've talked to so many people who were on SSI who have sat here. And when that was put like being considered um, last sometime last year, all of us were sitting there like, what would you do with the money that brought you up to the poverty line? Because that's like half again, our, our income. Yeah. Um, if, if only that, like it's, that's substantial for us. That's a few hundred dollars a month. And we're so used to scraping and, and stretching and all of that. And yet we still manage to pass around the same $20 amongst ourselves. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Cause that's what we do. Like, mm-hmm. and uh, it's starting to become a little scary how many marginalized communities are having that joke because it's true of the trans community too. Yep. But like, but with the dis- disabled community, especially, it's like we're sitting here, we are putting together GoFundMe's, we are charity streaming for each other, we are we are trying to do all of this stuff just to scrape the smallest amount and have you know other disabled people like I've got a dollar I can give, you know, and and really doing that when it could that dollar might really matter to either end. And then there are these nonprofits where there are people there making millions. And you're just like, that is more money than I would get for the rest of my life. Literally the rest of my life. Yeah. Like half of that, half of a million is Mm -hmm. 50 years. Yeah. That's 50 years. That would be the rest of my life because I know my ass isn't living to 80. Like, 
Like I didn't think I'd hit this age. Like I honestly had no, like I am way older than you are. And like, I didn't think I'd come <laughs> close to this age, but you're talking about like no, what we would have done to get better with COVID. And I don't want to like make this a full COVID show. Cause I have so many things I want to talk to you about. No, you're but good. I just want to say, um, when we legislate by the when our, our cap of legislation is our legislators' imaginations, and those imaginations are bad. And then we legislate based on who has the loudest temper tantrum. Um, I think that those are both big issues because we we saw even the thing that I had trusted for so long, which is our, our Department of Health mm-hmm. and who. And these are things I'd always thought were non-political. And to watch them say something like, we need to take a break from masks. Not that it's safe to unmask. We need to give the people having temper tantrums a break from masks without ever, no one who was a parent did this, by the way. There's not a single (laughs) parent who said, we're just going to give you a break from rules and we're going to put the rules back later and you'll be totally fine with that because every parent knows that would never work and it would be very bad. And then we have this legislation in place with people who cannot imagine people's lives. There's a lack of empathy and a lack of imagination to understand what people go through and what's possible. Like I was just talking to, I I get in trouble on Twitter a lot um, (laughs) because I talk to people who can't imagine what someone else's life is like. And I was discussing um, college and I was talking to someone who was in their fifties, granted a little older than me, but not by much. And he was talking about how he didn't have to have loans and strap himself down. He worked for the college and he did well. And I was like, great. Cheers. My parents did that. My parents had $5 a unit. Both my parents worked at the college, which helped pay for the tuition. And you know how much their rent was in California Bay area was $75 a month. That's what they paid for rent. And then their jobs, which were paying, I think like $5 an hour, which, you know, equivalently was a living wage. Yeah. And by the time I went to college, I worked three jobs and I went to college in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands. So a minute ago, but (laughs) I worked three jobs. I worked at the college and I had to take out $30,000 in loans. Yeah. I mean, like I, whenever people start on that, I I go, great, we're going to talk about whether or not the minimum wage has moved enough and what the buying power of a dollar is now versus then, because both of those are way different. Like minimum wage being $5, you know, when your parents were like, it's (laughs) $7.25 right now. That's our minimum wage. It's gone up $2.25 since then. And and yet the loans that we're having to take out are, are clo- like for a lot of people close to or upwards of a hundred thousand dollars. And like the interest is also ridiculous. That one, that the government would make a fortune on people trying to educate themselves and be a working mm-hmm. part of the society. And then they make a fortune on our interest where you can take out a 30,000 loan and owe $200,000 while still paying every month. Yep. Insanity. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's the thing is I was like the the people pay off their whole loan and still owe their whole loan. Yeah. So I was reading through your Twitter and your Twitter is like this nonstop <laughs> um quotable <laughs> 
quotable space. I was cracking up. Um, and I, this I swear is like probably one of the last times I'm going to bring up COVID, but I just can't stop. And I have a feeling, I think I remember what we had been talking about, which was there was a anime convention or a big. Oh, one. yeah. That was why we were supposed to talk. So we weren't supposed to talk about COVID. Okay. All right. Yay. Perfect sense. Boy, anyone who's gotten 50 minutes into this conversation, you finally get your wish. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, the sudden changes. Um, but you were talking about Seattle and about that their, their art exhibit opened up for one hour a month, not just for, just for anyone who wants to mask, just hopefully guaranteeing, which we all know how great that works out with everyone wearing their mask, but sure. Mm -hmm. And you said one of my favorite things, because it's not just a COVID thing. It is a, all of us, all of us on the margins, all of us in the Venn diagrams, just holding all the circles. Uh, You said, I'm not going to thank you for fucking spitting on me. And (laughs) I just knew I adored you from that one line um, because I, I, I think I might be one of the last generations of people who grew up with YM and 17 magazine telling us how we should be good girls and how we should be always like your job is to know 10 minutes of everything. So you can have a 10 minute conversation, but never insult the other person by thinking, you know, more than them. You're supposed to be calming everyone down. Your job is to balance everyone and make them happy. So when you said that, I was like, oh my God, how many times have I thanked someone for spitting on me? Like you did the bare, even like slightest, most insulting minimum. And I said, thank you. Like, I just, I love that fire. Like (laughs) your generation makes me so happy. Like your generation of people um, asking so many good questions and not just taking everything as read. I I love it. I, I don't understand. Like I, the fire that's coming out of all these younger generations just makes me so excited for the world. Yeah. I think there's like, it's, I've seen it talked about a lot in ways that made me just sort of sit here and go, yeah, I mean, that tracks though, because like my generation, we grew up, like I was like eight when nine 11 happened. And like (sighs) from then on, it was, it was just one, like, once in a lifetime crisis after another. And like, so we, we got to the pandemic it, where, where it was also going to be a recession, where we're also diving into, into the, the deep end of fascism. And I'm just sitting here like, yeah, all right. It's a Tuesday, I guess, you know? And like, I, it, it's just like, it, it's this weird combination of, of nihilism and, and extreme passion. And it is the strangest thing to try and hold both of both of those at the same time. Yeah. Um, I in particular have a very interesting place that I come from with this, which is that um, though I have a terrible relationship with her and am no contact and, and she gets no credit and everything else, my mother was an activist. Um, she was actually a lot of things. She was she had about seven different careers in her life that were all like top of her game, like serious business in those careers, including being one of the first women in the Carpenters Union here in Chicago. Wow. Yeah. And she was a big part of starting the Women's Carpenters Union, like whole lots of things like that. Um, But she was also an activist. She was a staunch uh, second wave feminist, which caused some friction between us because of the whole trans part eventually. But um but she was also like anti-war. She was very like, um, like heavy on climate change, like all of this stuff. 
And like, I have such vivid memories of the way that she handled things. And like, she has a tattoo on her arm that has her slogan. Um, there's two different things that, that are part of it. One of it, uh, one of one part of it is I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And the other part is you call me a bitch. Like it's a bad thing. And, and like, so like, this is where I come from. Like, I she once met us on on a summer vacation because she was like I'll catch up with you I've got to go protest in front of the White House first like that's that's where this like where I kind of come from with that like I was I was very much raised to fight because she was like you know regardless of how she felt about anything she was like your life is going to be a fight um like it's there's no there's no two ways about it your life's going to be a fight um and i've had so many of these experiences where i've just sat here and been like what the fuck am i doing though like what am i why am i doing this and it, that's kind of where that line came from is i have I thanked people for, for spitting on me so many times in my life because for the first 24 years of my life, I lived with abusers. Like mm -hmm. it's only been the last four, four years that that's not been the case. Um, and it was just, there's just so much conditioning, so much time spent being warped and being, crushed under the weight of this stuff to the point where you really lose track of who you are and I came out of that like a bat out of hell because <laughs> I was just like I am fucking living my life I am doing what I want to do I'm gonna be the person that I want to be the person that I feel and I am done with all of this because that that me coming out of that was 2018 so it was shortly mm. after it was shortly after um, after the election with all that. Um, and it was just, I was done. I was so done. And COVID has made it so much worse. It's mm. been two and a half years of people talking about, oh, I have to go do this thing. I have to go to this convention because my mental health, as though there is nothing between total isolation and a several tens of thousands of people convention, which I have obviously have feelings on this. Um, one or two. It's good. I have one or two feelings too. <laughs> yeah. And like, and, and then I sit here and I go, the second that I open my mouth though, there's no, there's no grace about mental health. Because if I say something just a little too spicy for you, then mental health isn't part of the equation. I'm just a terrible person, right? Like, mm. I'm just awful. There's clearly no amount of pressure I'm under that might contribute to the fact that I'm a little sharper than normal or I'm a little fed up with your shit or maybe I have a little bit of a sense of urgency because I've been withering and dying in isolation while everyone around me has decided they don't give a fuck anymore. Like... And, and it's just every time I see someone say they had to go and, and go to a large gathering or something that's significantly COVID unsafe because of their mental health, it just makes me want to scream. 
And I'm like, yeah. And you would have zero patience, zero understanding, zero grace for that. Yeah. I, I, I think the hardest thing of um, COVID for me has been that I have never been told that my life is disposable and that oh. I, as a human can die on the altar of capitalism at any time and no one will miss me. And I've been told this so many times and it does not desensitize me from it. It still stings. Um, it, it's part of that like innate ableism that we kind of grow up with. I still remember the day that I was told that I would need a wheelchair and my father who there's a lot of wonderful about that man, but his imagination for what a life could look like that he hadn't lived was mm. lacking. And he was bawling. And my first reaction was cool. <laughs> like, awesome. All those guys who keep grabbing my ass at school, I will just roll their toes to oblivion. Personal space is now guaranteed without a hoop skirt. Yes. And I had this one moment of utter joy of like, yay, wheelchair. And then I looked over and my dad is like sobbing. Like, how is she going to work? How is she going to get married? How is she going to be a mother? How, like, it was like, you know, and there's a lot of good in my dad, but these were his concerns. Like he was, he was phase one feminist, you know, like he really tried. He is still trying. God bless that man because he (laughs) calls me up and he's like, okay, so I watched Outlander. What is your feminist take on Outlander? I'm like, oh my God, I love you. I love you so much. This man is 70. He is in a bed all day, all the time. He's now permanently disabled. He cannot leave his bed and he still wants to get better at feminism. He's, um, my youngest is non-binary. And that's been this awesome adjustment for the whole family as we're learning better words, better phrasing, as we're learning to understand all of this. And my dad at 70 is trying so hard with pronouns. He is working his tail off. And I, I love that. And I think I'm getting back around to actually a point. And I'm so sorry about my, my no, <laughs> running around circles. That's, but I, that's how my brain works in conversations yay! anyway. Oh. So we're on the same page here. I knew I adored you. Um, <laughs> but I think that comes back to what we've been talking about, about like basically our boot camp for long COVID people who are suddenly thrown into disability is he now has time. He now has not just time, but access to stories. And all of us that I know, every one of us who are disabled, we are freaking sponges. Like if you're watching this on YouTube, you will see we both have bookshelves. We have lots of books, lots of games, lots of things. And we just suck in all the stories of the world. And so, and then we have time to process them. And then we have time to think about how they expand into the world. Now, talking about stories, I want to get to something. And if you don't want to talk about it, we will just slide right past it. Um, (laughs) But there's a big story in the news with Ricky Gervais. And I have lots of issues with his comedy. Um, There are things I loved about um, his show Afterlife, the first two seasons. I got through five seconds of the third one. And the misogyny just, I couldn't watch another second of it. And I watched him talk to, um, he did a, a thing where he talked to a whole round table of comedians um, who were people of color, who were gender queer, who were all sorts of things. And he had the nerve to say, everything is funny. Everything can be made fun of. So we've been talking a lot about entertainment. Um, we've been talking about how disability is seen, how queer is seen, how mental health is seen. I want to talk a little bit about this sort of idea that anything can be funny. I think that it just really depends on 
where you're punching, there's, you can make jokes about really bad stuff, but if the person who's doing bad, isn't the punchline, that's where it gets crunchy. What are your, like, I talked a lot there, but what are your views on entertainment humor and these Venn diagrams? So it's funny because I actually do have a, a lot of opinions about like comedy in this way. Um, I, I like to joke that um, a, a lesser talked about symptom of CPTSD is this strong urge to do stand-up comedy. Um, I wouldn't be that much of a stand-up comic. I would be a little bit more of a sit-down clown. Um, but, but like, I very much think that anything, any topic can be funny. It's very much about how you're doing it and who is doing the laughing how. Mm. If you're laughing at us, that's a problem. If you're laughing with us, by all means, because some of the stuff that we say and do is hilarious. Like, there's a comedian who, he does have a lot of problematic humor, but um, it's Daniel Sloss. He talks about um, his sister who uh, had cerebral palsy. And there are a lot of really good jokes in there about her. And he stops and goes, because the whole crowd groaned at one point. And he's like, I need to stop and address this. Because who are you offended on behalf of? You have decided that someone in this equation needs your defending because they can't defend themselves. Who is it that you're offended on behalf of? It's not me. Is it my sister? Because I know her and you don't. And she laughs. Like, and, and like, he talks about He's like, you are taking away from them one of the most human experiences there is, which is the ability to laugh at our situation. Do you really think that disabled people are that far from human that they can't have that experience? It just makes you uncomfortable because you don't understand what makes it human. So that is an interesting idea. And he has a unique perspective of being close to that situation and right there. So that brings up the question of who gets to tell stories. And that's been such a big thing in the news. Do actors get to, does a healthy actor get to be a disabled character? Does a white person get to play an Asian person? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, and the new um, casting of uh, race blind casting is what it's actually called in the industry, I believe, um, which has led to some amazing. Yeah. I, I still freaking love Bertrand. I know it's problematic, but I love my Jane Austen romance stuff. Uh, and uh, I still think that, um, oh goodness, I'm going to totally forget the name of it. David Copperfield last year was brilliantly done. Mm -hmm. And I loved having a, uh, the actors talking about, I never thought I would get to be David Copperfield. It's one of my favorite books. And I never thought I could play that character. And now I get to, and I love that. 
Um, so from all sides, there's a lot of questions being asked about who gets to act in what, who gets to tell what stories, what writers get to tell what stories. And if you're listening and you want to have a good laugh, go to, I think it's Tumblr has men writing women badly. Oh, it might be my favorite thread of all time. And there's, there's also a Twitter account dedicated to that. And that, that I think. <gasps> oh, is, send that to me. <laughs> I will. I will. I think it's men write women. Um, oh my God. It, it, their pinned tweet is the is the she walked boobily down the stairs thing. Boobily. I like I, I thought at first it was just gonna be like, you know, self-publishing stuff, but like Stephen King oh, is in yeah. there with like and her breasts were pouting. I'm like, dude, you guys gotta up your game. Like all you do is like cool. feed babies and like just sort of hang. Like, why aren't you able to be a moon ring? Come on, like I do know. something. I carry right. you around all day. There's like eight pounds of you. Do something interesting. <laughs> right. I could be having a whole cinematic experience here. What? I didn't like what I mean, granted, when I was pregnant, at least I could use them as a shelf, but like <laughs> that's gone after like breastfeeding. Those are like, you know, <laughs> gravity is not like doing the whole shelf thing anymore. But uh, honestly, like something. It's, it's ridiculous. But uh as far as like who gets to tell stories and all that stuff, yeah. Like I think it's a, an important question that we we start asking ourselves and I think part of it comes down to if you aren't the person, like if you're not the demographic that you're telling a story from, um, it's important to ask yourself why you're telling that story. Mm. Right. Um, And I think a lot of people don't really stop to ask that, especially a lot of people who have a lot of privilege who aren't like, sometimes they'll go, is it okay for me to write that? but they're not thinking of whether or not they're motivated by something that makes sense. They're thinking about, am I going to get canceled? Um, and like, I have a lot of feelings on like the idea of cancel culture. Well, we will talk, but let's talk yeah, right after this. But, Cause I, I want to talk that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like there are good reasons to tell stories from a perspective that isn't yours. There are a lot of good reasons, especially the fact that your stories are going to include other characters. They're mm-hmm. going to include other perspectives. And you should have that. You should have your worlds be diverse in in the ways that they can be. Like, you know, there's, I don't know, some random restrictions somewhere that I'm not going to get into. Um, <laughs> but, like, there's there's reasons to do that. And, and there can be plenty of reasons for your protagonist to be different than you. Um, it's just important that if it's a story that someone else is telling and can tell a lot better than you mm-hmm. and your reasons for telling it are only that you want to tell it and you think people would like it. It's a little, you should examine it a little more. Um, like Sia and music. Yes, like Sia and music. I, I honestly think she had good just, intentions, but holy, oh God, oh. she went about everything the worst possible way. Literally, but it shows everything. that you can be in like a circle of disability and chronic illness and have good intentions. But if you're not part of that microcosm, you yes. can get things so wrong. And mm-hmm. I like it just it felt like the worst explosion to watch because like a lot of times you can oh, see yeah. people 
who have a lot of privilege and they're like, whatever, I can do what I want. It's a lot easier to go after that. Yeah. But then you see someone who's part of the disability community who's trying to make art and like thought they were doing, like she, you know, really had like a whole bunch of research that she was doing. It was just in badly guided research. Yeah. And I it's mean, like, oh, the second, oh, the second that bad. autism speaks gets a hold of you for, for your thing. Like that's, that's, that's when, you know, you need Ooh. to sit down See, and that's go, another thing we need to talk I'm about. Not... Mm. Okay. I don't know how long I could kidnap you for, but I have like five pages of stuff I want to talk to you about. And like, you just hit something so close <laughs> on the head. And I want to like, like, do I ask you about tattoos and chronic illness, gaming and chronic illness, online communities and chronic illness, canceling? Is it a right? Um, but <laughs> see, you brought up saying, I really want to talk about. So we're going to talk about that for a second because this is the only show I have control over. Um, <laughs> I have three shows and this is the one I get to say whatever I want on. Um, oh, excellent. Also, as yeah. far as the, the, how long you get to kidnap me for I'm good for a while like I don't really have anything else going on today (laughs) I just want to make sure that I'm I'm also understanding like your energy levels and your focus levels okay okay (laughs) uh I I always tell like I usually give people like the heads up like if I suddenly wince and whimper and like start relocating something I'll let you know if I need to go um that's that's always fun okay so you bring up autism speaks now autism is not something I understand well so please forgive me if I get the language wrong and please correct me but um there's a whole bunch of organizations that are supposed to help people that cannot or do not have the power to speak. And a lot of them focus around parents, which can be deeply problematic. Um, mm-hmm. My own disorders, Eller Stainless and the Eller Stainless uh, group um, that is official, like their little, you know, this is where the doctors go to learn is horrifying in what they have to say about how severe this disorder is. I'm assuming by the way you said autism speaks, this does not speak for actual people who have <laughs> autism what is going on with these groups that somehow and without actual medical training a lot of the time, but somehow get popular and become this sort of like they're good at social media touch point. What's the damage? What can be done? Holy crap. How did we get here? So uh, the damage is honestly pretty severe. It's rough because it, it sets us back so much because now not only are we fighting the idea that people don't know um, we're fighting. They have all this other information that they were told by an authority, but how we got here is confirmation bias. Mm. All of this stuff is the kind of stuff that people already thought about disability, like autism speaks in specific is horrendous. Um, they pioneered ABA, which is basically the, the foundation of conversion therapy as a whole. Um, you know, and it, it is in most forms, actual torture, like stop the shock was, was a movement to, uh, make it illegal to use shock therapy on disabled people. It was primarily used on autistic people. Um, and as part of ABA, And we won that technically, but we also lost because they declared that, yes, federally it's illegal. However, states have the right to legislate their own medical practices. So they validated it as a medical practice as opposed to torture, which it is (laughs) because they're like, and this is, 
this is heavy, but like they're using this on autistic children. Autism Speaks primarily works with autistic children and they focus in on the parents in such an extreme degree. And some of the materials that they have, you can see the language they use. They compare this to your child having leukemia. Like they, they have you process this as a grief for the child, the, the allistic child, which is not non-autistic, the allistic child that you didn't get. They have you grieve that child when the child is right in front of you. There was never going to be an allistic child. Something didn't magically change. This was the kid you were going to have. This kid is right in front of you. There's nothing. They're not broken. They're just autistic. Like, and like they, they pioneered so much of this stuff that is so aggressive towards all of that and does nothing to actually help autistic people. Um, they refuse to listen to autistic adults. They actually kind of paint it as though autistic adults don't exist. Um, it's really strange because they only ever address autistic children because they're talking to parents. Mm. So it doesn't really matter what happens to us as adults. And the other thing is, is my generation is like my generation and like Gen X are kind of the first generations of autistic kids who were actually raised at home because it was the norm before for autistic folks to just get sent to institutions instead of being raised by their parents because their parents didn't know what they were doing. And we're just like, well, this is a problem. So either you had autism that was, uh, was low support need enough to mask and be like waved off because you weren't enough of a difficulty to your parents. Um, or you had a uh, high support need autism and you went to a, an institution and, and people just kind of forgot you existed. Um, it's horrible. And like, that was the reality. So Autism Speaks comes in and they come in on the heels of vaccines cause autism. Oh God. Like, yeah. And so they're like, oh, there is this big fear around autism existing. And this is common for disability as a whole, we, we kind of talked about this early on about how we're used as a threat against others and people will zero in on that and go, yeah, you can also donate money to us and you can, you can, and, and autism speaks because they pioneered that ABA. They really like solidified that and popularized it. Like they get, partnerships they get programs where they train like ABA is a whole specialty of therapists and so they train these people they run these facilities they they do all of this and people are getting rich off it and people are also getting the benefit of they want autistic people to cease to exist because it's really inconvenient for them if they have to address that there are some people whose brains just fucking work differently, it starts to crumble their worldview. And this is also kind of why um, 
People hate that non-binary people exist. When you start to show that there are different ways to exist, different perspectives, different things that aren't bad or good, they just are, like, yes, autism can be kind of fucking inconvenient, um, especially if you're, like, higher support need. Like, there's there are things about it that can be inconvenient and hard and unpleasant, and I'm not going to minimize that because it is a disability, but, like... Generally speaking, most of the stuff that that is considered like, oh, that must be so bad or so hard for you. Like, oh, you don't you don't always get sarcasm. That must suck. Like that must make interacting with people hard. And I'm like, not really. I like I sometimes may have to ask someone to clarify a joke, but like I would have had to do that if they made a reference I didn't get. So like it's not that's you're you're missing that that's also a normal experience for you. You I'm sure you've had to do that. And like, or they're like, oh, you can't make eye contact. That's really weird. Or that's, that must be really hard. And I'm like, why do I want to stare at someone's eyeballs all the time when I could look at everything else they've got going on systematically while we're having a conversation and just kind of pepper in things that I notice and appreciate? Like, I, and there's just, or they're like, oh, you get these special interests and you just sort of like dig into it. Like, and they just gradually spin into treating you like a child because the only frame most people have of autism is autistic kids. Mm. They don't see autistic adults between the institutionalization and the way that autism speaks and groups like it focus on autistic kids. Autism kid, it just connects in their brain. And so we just get treated like we're kids and like, no, I'm an adult. I'm solidly an adult. Like, I do adult things. I am expected to do adult things also. That one. I, if you're going to treat me like a kid, at least, like, take away all the responsibilities and shit that I have. Like, I did, I'm not, I, I refuse to get the shit end of both sticks, okay? <laughs> like, you got to give me some perks here. <laughs> do not make me call the IRS where five hours into being on hold I've already forgotten not only why I'm on this phone call who I'm waiting to talk to <laughs> what the actual issue is and now I don't even know what my name is anymore and I'm really wondering about my place in the universe yeah uh, yeah I've gone on like three different spiritual journeys since I picked up the phone right? I've forgotten <laughs> the phone is even in my hand the whole music yeah. startled me like I <laughs> Oh, oh my God. My pain clinic has a, um, a hold music that I swear makes me wonder if I want to live, let alone solve my pain. And I, I know that sounds horrible. And I'm sorry if this is like triggering for anyone It is literally how I feel because it is this weird synthesizer that is like, you know, how like there's, there's, there's like a, some, some sort of megahertz that calms you down. This oh, is the goodness. antithesis of this. And it doesn't even let you relax into the agony of it. It will just like, <laughs> It will sort of like sneak oh. up on you where you're like, okay, I think I've got this. I think I've got this. And then a chord will hit so wrong. And I'm like, this oh, is like my pain. No. This is like, this is an audio version of my pain. And y'all are leaving oh. me on it for like an hour. So I already don't even remember which doctor I see here. I, I don't even remember what pain I have. I, I don't want to be here anymore. Stop it. Oh my God. But like, actually there's like, I... 
Oh no. So my, my, uh, my doctor's group. I, so I found out something interesting about my doctor's group, which is that, uh, my doctor's group is North shore. Um, who is currently being investigated in Nevada because hmm. apparently they went heavy into COVID testing as hmm. a, um, as a means of, of profit, I guess. Cause someone, hmm. someone new took over the group a couple of years ago uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, turns out that their tests uh, like 99% of the time don't work. Oopsie. And uh, hmm. yeah. So that's been fun. Uh, hmm. And like the, the owners are like the two people who took over. Um, they, the thing they did before this was they were in the collections uh, business uh, in debt collection business and they were banned. <laughs> they were banned from it. For banning people. <laughs> They were banned from it for bullying people and paying debts they didn't owe. And these people took over a medical group and started setting up testing across the country. Welcome to the United States. And this is where my doctors are. Yay! Um, (laughs) I might have accidentally informed my doctor that he's about to lose his job yesterday. Um, So they send out these form letters. Um when a doctor leaves the group and they're, they're written as though it is the doctor writing the letter. Um, which obviously we know that that's not true because they're all the same letter. And like, it'll say like who the doctor is, what their specialty is when they're leaving, etc. And then it'll, the next page will be um, a list of other doctors in that specialty that you can go see. And they're like subspecialties with pictures and everything. And I had gotten this letter about a week ago uh, saying my rheumatologist was leaving. And I had looked at the letter before I opened it. I looked at my partner and went, I wonder which of my doctors is leaving. Joking. Because I've had so many doctors leave during the pandemic. And one doctor I had was very candid with me about the fact that the doctors at North Shore are being pushed out because they can't pay them despite the fact that they've been buying up hospitals. And I connected those dots after I found out about this testing thing. And so my, my uh, rheumatologist, uh, his nurse sends a message a few days ago, uh, I think last week, saying that, oh, you know, you need to make an appointment to, to see him if you're, you know, so that you can continue your meds. And I looked at it and I was like, Okay, kind of weird considering that he's about to leave, um, but okay. And I think I mentioned that in the message, but like they must have just been confused. So I get on the call with him yesterday and we're talking and I'm like going through and he's like, I would get to the end and he's like, okay, see me in six months. And I went, aren't, aren't you leaving? <laughs> and he just goes, what? No, I'm not leaving. Wait why and I was just like uh I got a letter saying you were leaving and he was just like excuse me he he asked me like 15 times if I was certain about this I was like yes it said your name it said rheumatology and you're the only rheumatologist I see 
I gave me a list of other rheumatologists. I took note of it specifically because it was pissed because I started seeing him in the beginning of the pandemic because he replaced the rheumatologist I'd been seeing for almost a decade. So I was upset that I was losing a second rheumatologist. And so like, he was like, do you still have this letter? Can I see it? And I was like, I definitely tossed it. I feel bad that I didn't keep it. I was like, but you should probably talk to someone about that because I wouldn't be the only person who got that letter. And like, he could, you could hear him trying to process this and like not doing well with it. And I was just like, oh fuck, I may have just told him he's losing his job. I like, what a fucking way to find that out. And it's, yeah. Like any question we have, I think the answer is usually follow the money. Like anything that feels tangled and weird and like, why is this happening? How is this happening? I've yet to be wrong. I could be. I'm wrong about a lot of things. Absolutely. (laughs) My kids will be happy to tell you all the things I'm wrong about. (laughs) But this I have yet to be wrong about, which is just, if you follow the money, you usually find the answer as to why something's happening or what the policy is. And like Mm -hmm. all the stuff that everyone's scared of, especially as parents, like I've, I've been in mom world for almost my entire adult life. I started way, way young and um, (laughs) I've been around parents a lot. And the things that parents are scared of, it's never the thing that I'm scared of. So I never did well. I, surprisingly, I've never done well in mom groups. I am too snarky. I am, I am just too, I'm, I, I'm too much for most people, especially mom groups. Uh, but I was amazed at how no one was scared of cruelty. And that's the thing that scares me more than anything. Like there's a lot my kids could do that would make me sad, frustrated, disappointed. But for me to get really upset, it would be cruelty. And that's like, of all the things that, that you could really like latch on to, like, are they going to get straight A's? Are they going to be neurodivergent? Ah, are they going to, you know, are they going to get into Stanford? Will they do this? Will they do that? You know, like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm not supposed to live their life. Like, I, <laughs> I, I'm yeah. supposed to be their guide. I'm supposed to be here to be a good example, to be a net to catch, um, to be a good ear to listen, to help. But I'm not supposed to live that life. But I can tell you the one thing that will make me, and I've told my kids this, the one thing that would make me hurt and feel like I really failed is if they were cruel. That would be it. And yeah. like, I don't see that as the message for things. Like I'm really interested in like advertising. I'm fascinated by advertising. I think if you want to learn a culture, watch the advertisements. They put billions of dollars into knowing the inside jokes, knowing the stuff that people don't say, knowing all the cues. Look at that stuff. You'll generally get a good answer, but like all the messages I see of what we should be scared of, what we should watch out for, what what's the big bad, it very rarely is cruelty. It's always some, if it is, it's some sort of like off the charts, bullying until someone like loses their mind kind of thing. It's never the subtle like cruelty in a day or dehumanization of others. Like that seems to be the one thing that everyone still holds on to is, but I can still dehumanize someone, right? Otherwise I get canceled when I dehumanize someone. Like it's some sort of like they're yeah. right. Like anyone in the margins can tell you canceling has been a thing forever. If we do not smile enough, if we do not capitulate enough, if we wear the wrong color lipstick, if we like all these things, we get canceled all the time for thousands of years. We've been burned up a stake for less. Mm. But all of a sudden people are like, oh my gosh, I have the right 
it's like, no one's, no one's stopping you. There is literally, trust me, Twitter will not cancel you. You can stay on Twitter until you cause a world war. They will not take you off. I promise you. Like, and if they do, they will let you right back on. You can say horrible things just because other people are telling you it's mean and cruel and to please stop. That's their right. Like, oh my goodness. Sorry. Lots of Twitter stuff in the last few days. It's been highly entertaining. No, you're, you're all good. And like, I, I think a lot about the, like, I've been canceled. Read about it in my new book. That's a bestseller <gasps> on my tour, which everyone is going to. And like, please watch me on MSNBC because I got canceled off Fox. So, right. Like there's yeah. so many, like, it's just, it's like, no, like, and, and I think about this in terms of like rape culture and I'm not going to go mm. into like the, the depths of that, but like talking about how, oh, you know, this could ruin their life. And it's like, no, like statistically and, and like study based fully data driven, like understanding of this is that no, it really doesn't. And that's horrible. I have milk in my refrigerator older than the amount of time Brock Turner spent in prison. Exactly. Like this, this stuff doesn't actually ruin their lives. Being held accountable for something that you do does not actually ruin your life. (laughs) Mel Gibson still has a career. Mel Gibson. Exactly. Like, and Jodie Foster defends him. Like, what do I need to do to get Jodie Foster to like be on my team? Like, holy crap. Apparently like, (laughs) yeah. Jenny McCarthy still exists. Yeah. Like, like all, all, like there's so much like Dave Chappelle is still Mm. doing things. Like we've like Ricky Gervais. Yeah. I mean, talking about Ricky Gervais, like all of this is, is just, it doesn't work the way you think. And, and part of what makes me angry is that cancel culture actually works in the way that it was originally termed, which is that canceling came from, from black communities where it was a way of warning each other, Hey, watch out for this. Like we're done with that. Um, Like this one goes in the bin it was never about any large consequences levied on that thing or person. It was about warning each other. And that's exactly what cancel culture does now. That's it. Yeah. Like it's, it's not about some sort of large scale consequences. The culture is not what brings that. It's just when you do something that's wrong, <laughs> like there are consequences kind of, like there should definitely be more consequences for a lot of this stuff. And a lot of it has really no consequences except for the people who suck find you better. Like, Oh God, what was his name on Jeopardy? Who, um, he did this whole, it's a travesty to see a person, a hot person in a wheelchair. And then he did like all these other like jokes about disabled people. And, uh, he did a whole bunch of stuff about overweight people. Like he is, He's and he would never oh take it God. down. He kept he's still up there on his Twitter, uh, but he says horrible things. And they hired him as the host of Jeopardy. Like, really? Really? Wow. What? Okay. Like, but it's just this um, it's people right. in power who are suddenly experiencing being questioned, and then they wrap this victim cloak around themselves. Mm-hmm. 
which all of the people who are actual, you know, like marginalized are now cold because they took the blanket. Yep. And, and I think that that points to something important about all of this, which is why now, right? Mm. Like, why is this suddenly being something that's talked about? And it's because for the first time, um, it's become like, this has been the last several years, but it's become the state of things that for the first time, like the powerful and rich are directly hearing opinions from the people they've been shutting out and ignoring. Like politicians are directly hearing from a bunch of their constituents on Twitter who are pissed. Like, mm-hmm. and, and like, you know, celebrities are hearing from the marginalized communities that they offend, hey, that sucks. Like, and so to them, they're suddenly feeling, oh, well, this must be new. This can't be what everyone was saying the whole time, right? (laughs) This can't have been the response always. Something has changed. Maybe it's social media. Social media is bad. We should we should do away with whatever is happening there um, because it's clearly making people overly critical, overly mm-hmm. overly sensitive, overly offended all the time, and and people are just looking for something to be angry at. And it's like, no, actually, it's the fact that I've been angry this whole time, and someone finally handed my ass a megaphone, like. You think I'm gonna give that up? You think I'm not, not gonna use it every day? Like, no. Like, I don't know how long I'm gonna have this megaphone. I'm gonna scream until I can't breathe. Like, but that's also the difference. And this is one of the things that frustrates me the most on Twitter is when you're talking to someone who has power, it's a thought exercise at best. At worst, it's yes. just a desperate ass cover. I am literally screaming for my life. I am screaming to exist. I'm screaming for safety. I'm screaming for a baseline of human dignity. And they're debating me as if we're in a class. Mm -hmm. And my being emotional means I lost. Or if I grammatically said something wrong because my poor butt is now on new meds and my phone and my little fingers with LR stainless do not type well. So it's just this like, yeah, that's, that's a whole nother thing. Um, do we have enough time to cover one more topic or should we like schedule for another chat? I mean, I'm fine with both of those options. Like, like I said, I'm still good. Um, I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm running between, oh my God, I dislocated my rib and I need my meds and a brace. And I really have not <gasps> talked to another adult in like, I don't know, four months that hasn't been about Bill's children or <laughs> should we get a new chicken or should we not get a new chicken? So this is really fun. <laughs> I mean, I'm a little interested in the, in the chicken to, to chicken or not to chicken debate here. It's a good but, debate. It's, <laughs> It's a great debate. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a fun one. We actually started our own um, role-playing game. My husband and I are um, we're making uh, off of a book I wrote on uh, cosmic horror and the intersection Ooh. between Cthulhu and Dark Fairy and Ooh. a boarding school with very special children and um, lots of cool like magical objects and professors who are benignly curious and do not guarantee anyone's safety um it's a super fun thing and like our the whole thing is because like our our oldest is 21 our youngest is in high school and we're looking at each other going we really like each other 
Um, but we've kind of are forgetting what we've ever talked about before we had kids and we're getting really close to this point where like kids are, they have their, like, even now they have their own lives. Like they, we chat, we love each other, but like, we need something that's ours. So we started making this game and that's been like the majority of our conversations is so how do cards work in this game? Do we need dice? How would the board game work? Can we have a virtual reality component? And then we talk about chickens and usually the conversation goes, So I'm at the feed store and they're really cute and fluffy. If you don't want me to bring home any, you should probably text me back in five minutes and then I turn my purse, like my phone off and throw it in my purse. And and then he comes home to like a thing full of chickens. (laughs) Oh my Lord. I mean, that's all of that sounds amazing. And it's also like, it also does touch on a lot of important points. Like I do think people kind of forget like, I've, I've talked about the way that our society is structured in terms of how we build and maintain relationships and how a lot of folks, um, when they transition off of high school um, and, and depending off of college, how they sort of have this like, oh, me and all my friends drifted apart and I don't really understand it and it really sucks. And it's like, that's because your entire basis for friendship was you all being stuck in the same place for several hours a day, every day. And traumatized together. You were all in jail. You were literally in a jail for six to eight hours a day and you were surviving. (laughs) Right. And it didn't matter if you really had that much in common because you had your surroundings in common. You had most of your day experience. And common trauma. And common trauma. Like, and you had common struggles you were going through because of where you were in your life and where you were physically. Like it's, it's, you shared enough that it didn't really matter. As long as you kind of vibe together, it was fine. But you never really had to worry about engaging with like interests in that way. You never really had to deal with that because it was just, all right, either we're at school or we're trying to decompress from being at school. Um, And then you go into, and like, this is true of like people making friends at work too. I actually had a friend who had to sit me down because I was talking to him and I was like, I was like saying something about friends and, and about how I needed a better word for the, the, the point of friendship. That's not like my best friend, but is past the friends that aren't like super close that I don't really like totally open up with and et cetera. And he looked at me and he was like, no, it's not that you need a new word for that. It's that you're naming a bunch of people who are not your friends, your friends. He's, and I was <sighs> like, what? I was like, no, but they are. And, and tried to like say some things. And he's like, no, Cosmo, like that's not, those aren't friends. Those are acquaintances that you're friendly with. Mm-hmm. He's, like, he's like, the people that like you trust and will open up to and really enjoy their company and we'll seek that out like that. Those are your friends. <laughs> like the people before that, like it's fine that you're friendly with people. He's like, you're a very friendly person, um, which always makes me laugh knowing how I've been in the past and knowing how a lot of people see me because uh, there's a lot of people who see me as the opposite of a friendly person. Um you know, in part because I say things like, I'm not going to thank you for fucking spitting on me. <laughs> but like, I want that on t-shirt. I, oh, I should make that mm-hmm. as a t-shirt. 
Ooh, see, okay. usually what I do is I offer to like do a t-shirt for someone and send them the illustration, but you're already an artist. So my illustrations are not needed here. <laughs> I did one for my friend, um, Sunny. She's got like a world of disorders and um, a huge in the VR disability community and said something to the effect of, I have to go, can't talk anymore. I've got to go rage nap. And so it's like, I, I'm, I, so I drew it out. Like, is this, as my cat, my cat is like the ultimate rage napper. I've never seen someone oh angrily gosh. nap like my cat does. So I drew this cat just like drifting over rage napping. And, um, yes, yeah, oh, I was like, amazing. go ahead and sell this on Redbubble for you. My present knock yourself out. <laughs> oh my God. That's fantastic. I love that so much. Rage napping and don't ask me to thank you for spitting on me might be my two new t-shirts that I need to own. Like throw that up on Redbubble. Everyone should buy that. I'm, I'm really excited about that now because I've been thinking about how I want it. Like, I was like, I have an actual tablet now because I finally, um, courtesy of the fact that Facebook is terrible, uh, apparently I, so I don't know. I think it might've been state specific. Um, so in Illinois, there was just this whole like class action lawsuit against Facebook um, to do with like biometric security or something. I don't remember. There's a lot of things Facebook does that are terrible. So I just can't keep track anymore. Who um, can? No, I really, no one can. No. Um, I have friends who work there and I still can't keep track of what's <laughs> going on there. Oh, God. That's so much. That's so much better. Worse. Um, I, I've been to the campus a few times. It's it's the most beautiful hellscape you've ever seen in your life. Like it was designed by the person who designed Disney's uh, City Walk, and it looks exactly oh. like Disney's City Walk. It looks gorgeous. You've never seen such a beautiful place with so many people who look haunted walking through it. I mean, I can't say that I. I that's really exactly what you would imagine. Like a but really food. good food, great food, awesome arcade. That arcade rocked. There, it's definitely one of those things where, like, you can tell that they really needed to sell the experience of working yeah. there to distract from the experience of working there. It reminds me of like the Peter Pan, um, the book. Also, the, no, no, Pinocchio. Sorry, Pinocchio. Uh, the book, a little bit of the movie where there's the the sort of carnival that drags all the the lost kids in, oh, and they're God. like, "This is yeah. the best." I'm like, "This feels like oh. a vibe. This feels very yeah. much like a, a vibe that's going on right now." Um. So, do you think that? And I don't know if any of us will ever be able to find the answer, but I have noticed that a lot of us who are disabled, while we can be a little prickly, super snarky. Our attachments are deep, fast, and to the bone. And like, I like, I have friends that I've never met in real life that I would. Uh, there's nothing I wouldn't do for them. Yeah. And like, I don't know if that's like neurodivergent. If that is, uh, I've been locked away in my house for six years, or if that is like just a personality quirk. Or if it's that we just for our survival, we have to have caregivers. We have to have people in our business in our lives all the time and we might as well make that enjoyable yeah I mean I think there's a bunch of layers oh, to you're it stuck. Like, why are you stuck oh oh no 